fight your fears and follow your dreams. I've had this story in my head for years and it's taken me to this year for it to come to fruition. I have no idea where it went. Just go for it, but be careful who you tell. If you tell anyone, keep things to yourself and because others will feel less capable than you, it will try to put you off. Hey, and welcome back to the podcast. We're here with Paul McCarricker, and he is in the Beyond Limitations book, co-author with Pat Masidi, and he's also the author of The War in Falkirk, and there is a sequel for that coming out as well. And we want to mention the Grangemouth Heritage Trust, and their website is grangemouthheritagetrust.co.uk. And if you want to know about Falkirk and its history and World War II, and Paul especially, and his story, and just his writing process, then you were in the right place. So, Paul, I'm glad to be speaking with you. I thank you. Glad to be speaking to you. So many people have like an idea for a book, but many for many people, it's just an idea, right? So few people take action or maybe they start writing something and never finish. But you are one of those few people who actually started on a project and saw it to through the end. And you have this book out now and you're marketing it all over. So can you tell us about this book that you created and why you made it? and what your process was like. I've always wanted to write, and I had an idea, just during COVID, I had an idea about a war story. I was going to base it in France, somewhere in France, probably about Bordeaux. And then after I saw Sam Mendes' 1917 film, which was some February last year, that inspired me to change the story from 1917 into 1942 in the Second World War. So I then decided not to have it in France. At first I was going to have it in London, then I chose Edinburgh, which is more local to me, nearby in the town where I work. And I just got an image of two women in my head in an area that I used to work in. And then I started writing and from there the rest of the story went and so I wrote the I think it was about a month it took me to write the story and it was lying there and I had nothing I had no outlet for it that I could think of and then Andrew Reynolds contacted me and he is a millionaire a British millionaire and he does his best to give back to the people who have invested in him and one of his feature was Pat Mazzetti. I already knew about Pat and I decided I was going to go for it. So I signed up and through Pat and his venture, he gave me the opportunity to get my story published. And from there, I was, after the first publication, everyone was, seemed pleased about it. And then yourself, Robert Plank, asked me to write a sequel within, I think, about the first month of the publication and I wasn't expecting that, but it's like my mind was numb for 24 hours. Then the next day I kept getting an image in my head, which was the starting point of the story. And once I described what I had in my head, the rest of the story, like the first one flowed and every day I got new ideas and just added bits to it and expanded the actual storyline and plot until it completed. So that was essentially how it all came about. And why did I write it? Well, in Grangemouth, they have an oil terminal there. 
It used to be BP, but it's now Ineos. And that, during the Second World War, was an airfield. And I don't think it's known that it was an airfield. And a lot of Polish pilots were trained there. And so the combination of the British and the Polish there, they got involved in the war a lot. And there's an actual Spitfire there in Grangemouth. And that is to signify as a thank you for well, everything, for their efforts, the World War II effort. And also in Edinburgh, which is in Seacol, it's now used as a commercial airport, but it used to be used as a, an airfield during the war. It also has a Spitfire there in memory of those who uh, were fighting during the war. And I didn't think that airport was known well enough for uh, how it was involved in the war. So what I did was uh, put these two airfields, the RAF airfields into stories to highlight them and to get it known to the wider public. And it, it worked perfectly in the, the plot that I used. And so the, this sounds like a lot of fun as, as far as hearing about your writing process, because you mentioned things about playing around in your head about where should the setting be and where should the time be? And then you said a, a little bit about how there was like some like daydreaming or night dreaming about just like visuals that came into your head. And then you like threw in and played around with like different, what would, what would characters be in that situation? And then you visited these physical locations and thought, when I'm looking at the, what's now a museum or what's now a commercial airfield, what was that like it, decades ago? And then you can combine all those different ingredients. And it sounds like a lot of fun because you can bring awareness to some of these old historical landmarks, but it's in a fun way. Because if you just say, here's the history of this airfield, like that's okay if you're seeking that information, but it's a dry subject on its own. But if you add in, planes flying and gunfire and World War II and spies, then now it's exciting. And it's a way for the public who maybe would not have looked into these historical landmarks to get and wrapped up in the story and find out about it because they're just following along with the plot. So it's a fun formula that you've created here. Yeah, there was uh, the ideas just came into my head and I would go along with one idea and then somebody would say something or read something like that and it triggered something in my head. And I would add it to the plot and just develop things around there. And the link to Grangemouth Heritage Trust is that they promote Grangemouth and they have a, an actual work, a model of the airfield as it was during World War II. And they have a lot of artifacts from that time and even before then in the actual Heritage Trust, which is free to visit. And the only thing they ask is if you write in the visitor's book. And also just a small donation, if you can, whatever it is that you can donate. So to keep the upkeep and people who, the volunteers who go there are like retired and that's all I've seen so far. And they go there and they spend their time hoping that people will visit. And as I say, I've visited a few times and get good information from some basic. And then I just developed my storyline from the basic that they gave me, and which was more relevant in the sequel rather than the first one, the first story. You were able to better use the material in that second book. And, uh, and it's like, you're making me think about when I was a kid, I'd go, they would take us on field trips to like this or that historical museum. And it was just, it was just okay. But then when I was an adult, sometimes just for fun, I would, one time I visited like an aircraft carrier and it was fun just to go into the history and they would have retired like Navy guys with the hat and they'd served on that aircraft carrier like 40 years ago. 
and they'd show actual fighter jets sitting there that were not in use now, but decades ago were actually like flown in wars and had gunfire. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. And it's hard to describe unless you've gone through it yourself just to to be to see part of the history and to look at and to talk to this these things that really happened. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot more history there than the, the heresy trust than I expected. And as I say, I, I combined that with my imagination and I created the two stories. The only was expecting one and the sequel I wasn't expecting at all, but it's come together. And Grangemouth we seen in a different light now. Yeah, like you, you, you had one story and it led to another. And so as far as you creating these stories, how, how accurate is it? Did you say like, it's somewhat historically accurate, but then you also took your own creative liberties. Is it a hundred percent fiction is a hundred percent real? Like, how do you play with how real to make it or how creative and fun to make it? I used my imagination and from, cause I used to live in Grangemouth, so I had a fair idea. About it. I also knew that when they put the Spitfire there, they were trying to promote the area and they couldn't think of any other way apart from putting the Spitfire. And I'm trying to add an extra element to it by including it in a story, which I don't think it's ever been done before. And some, the year I wrote, I chose 1942, just came out of nowhere. And when I was in the Grace House Heritage Trust, they had books there. When I opened one of the books, on the, the, page, the first page I opened that, there was a photograph taken in 1942 of pilots there in the, the mess room, which I thought was a bit, uh, the synchronicity because of the way it was done. Cause I had no idea it was there. I just opened the page, the first page and that was it, 1942, which is the setting from a story. So there's a lot of accuracy in it and I've just combined, I've just created characters around. There's a combination of created characters and then steeped it into the history, connected it there. And then the history is connected to the characters as well. So these are things I've done. Plus I found out after I'd written that there had been something actually similar in history had happened in that area and I had no idea about it. None at all. And I'd, I'd, so I'd written everything just using my imagination as a sport, as the Sam Mendes film was the sport to do that. I had no idea about the actual historical situation, which I discovered. It just popped up in the YouTube months, months after I'd uh, actually written the story, which tells me itself that the accuracy was the on. Yeah. So much synchronicity, right? You plan 1942 and that's what you open the book to. And then you put out the story and then you found the YouTube with the similar plot. That's an interesting insight that like, if you see these coincidences happen, that's a sign that you're on the right track, right? That like, would you ignore that? Or why would you say, oh, I'm thinking about making my book set in 1942. And if you just open that book in 1942, you'd be crazy to say, let me just throw out that, that idea. Like that's a sign to get excited and pursue that idea. Except that what the opposite, I'd already written the first page, the first story, and there was a ticket the book to Grangemouth Heritage Trust. And as they were discussing the story with me, they said, have a look at the books. And they opened the first book open. There's one there was a photograph of the pilots in the mess in 1942. And that was the first page I opened it. I thought, wow, but as you said, what a synchronicity. Yeah. So I had 
tuned in perfectly. And so what's also interesting here is that other people are involved because many times authors just shut themselves in and isolate themselves and just don't talk or share with anyone. They just are sitting in their cave writing the pages. But what you've been telling me about how you're working with the Grangemouth Heritage and there is, we're getting the book in libraries and you're autographing the book for other people. And it's like the feedback from people about your book it has encouraged you to write the sequel. So can you tell us a little bit about that, about the people and the organizations that you're talking to in order to get the word out about your book? Grangemouth Heritage Trust, I knew they were looking for an outlet to promote Grangemouth more. And rather than them just being the way I understand it, static in there and the link with Falkirk Council, the historians in Falkirk Council, they all have a connection, which I didn't know until I was at the Grangemouth Heritage Trust. And they've read it as well. I've no idea what the feedback was, but nobody said anything bad against it. And the people who I knew personally, when I mentioned it to them, they were interested in it. And added two female characters to try and develop the interest in itself rather than just a basic war story. It has several layers to it. And they are innocent bystanders to a certain extent, but at the same time, they're also main character of the plot. And that was the first picture that came into my head, was the two females in a certain part of Edinburgh. And from there, I just started writing it. And the ideas came into my mind because I was wanting to involve others at a certain time. And then I got the scene in my head that described it. And from there, the story flowed much better. Because that first part was the most difficult bit. As I tried to set it, eh, in a way, it would be done to the next section of my story. And as I say, the others who I know, personal friends, and they were very interested and I mentioned it and the feedback from French women, I know she said, I caught it, in fact, two of them, they said very authentic, absolutely, totally authentic. I'd captured the mood of a time in France perfectly. And as the storyline, it's not always based in Scotland, it expands into Europe and different countries and different situations. And so, yeah, the personal, the feedback from those who I know has been fantastic. That was for the first the sequel I said to be read, but I keep getting feedback asking they can't wait to read it because I want to know what happened to some of the characters, if they were still in the story at all, if they were more involved in the next section or not, but I'm not letting them know, I just still have to wait. Yeah, but you have to wait like everybody else. Yeah. But, so do you have any secrets about writing these authentic characters? Because sometimes you hear about base characters on people. So have you done any of that or is it just a matter of thinking it through a lot? Think it through a lot. Um, I just pick up, I just get ideas in my head about a certain character and then I try to develop it from there. It gets a bit more human in some aspects in the sequel than I have it in what I recall from the first one. And so I, did, I just, I've been in so many different situations in life and I've seen a lot of different situations that's all in the mix, it all comes out in the mix. So I just put it into my head and it all comes out in the mix and I develop it from there. It's just different situations I've seen and I know and things that I've seen on TV and so on. And I just mix a lot of it and I put in paper is the way I interpret it in my mind. Yeah, like th you throw a lot all in and you put it in the mix and you see what comes out and you hear those things like write what you know and what you know is the town that you live in and the, and some of those locations that you see every day and instead of making 
your story off in some far off place or New York City or outer space. You're like, I would rather set it in the place where I live. That way I know everything about it. But then also you could give your town or your city a little bit of recognition just because that's where the story takes place. That's correct. Until the time I went to, I started writing, when I changed the location from Bordeaux to London to Edinburgh, I felt more comfortable choosing Edinburgh because I knew the streets, I know the area, and it, the words flowed faster from there than when I was trying to think of Bordeaux or London. And that's, uh, I just followed from there. I just developed the storyline from there. Yeah, you just, you tried different things and what flowed better and what made you more excited is what you pursued. And you're reminding me that I think it was like, like George Lucas, when he does the Star Wars movies, he'll think of these weird character names, right? Someone will have some like Luke Skywalker and he's like, okay, based on the name Luke Skywalker, what would he do? Where would he live? What sort of adventures would he go on? And he just would swap out different situations and locations and then something just somehow would be magical something would just click and it's okay that's just go through there and so since we're talking about your writing process it's very easy to leave things incomplete how many people out there have a half-finished book half-finished chapter probably so many so do you have any secrets about following through about not just starting a book but also going through the hard work of getting past the two-thirds point and getting to, the, to a satisfying conclusion, what sort of secrets do you can you share with us about how you were able to not just start this, but also conclude? It's been something that's what a driving force I've had for years, and I didn't feel fully satisfied until I completed a story. And then, like I say, the synchronicities, as you've mentioned earlier, when I'd written it, I'd nowhere, I had nowhere to go. And I couldn't think of what to do with it. And then that's when Andrew Reynolds stepped in and he gave me the opportunity to link with Pat Mazzetti, who I already knew because I've been to Andrew's conventions and Pat was there. And I knew immediately that Pat was the one who can get things done for you, provided you give the input. And so I took the chance. He gave several options of ways that you can uh, make life better for you. And then when it came to the story writing, I knew that was the one I wanted to pursue. And that's what I did. And so the whole combination, the whole synchronicity, like I've mentioned, from the inspiration after the Sam Mendes film to moving on from First World War to the Second World War, to Andrew Reynolds contacting me, and neither of them knew about the story. And then uh, with uh, the link up to Pat Mazzetti, and here we are today. Discussing the sequel first, first part and see. Don't give up. It's mainly just don't give up. If you got the story, write it, and you never know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, and so many people think about a plot as something that is fiction or something that's in a book, but your own plot was thing to thing, and it never is in a straight line. It's just like one event led to the next, and it ends up being this really interesting journey of all these unexpected twists and turns. And it was just a matter of you, you could have easily ignored things or said no, but you pursued these different opportunities. And you said, here's my goal. I want to tell this story, but I also know I, I can't do it alone. And I see this opportunity in front of me. So I will take it and I will seize the day. Yeah. Cause I think there's been a lot of synchronicities in the storyline 
And I've had that several times in life, as I think other people have as well, whether or not they recognize it or not, uh, I can't say. But I just know that it's like moving pieces on a board. It's that you start one bit and you can never tell what's happening somewhere else. And then they combine somewhere along the line. And that's the way my storylines have gone. Who even knows? Who knows if that's your subconscious or the universe or just random chance, but, but somehow things connect in, in that way without you even realizing it. It's an amazing process you've been on, 200% success because you didn't only finish the first book, but now you finished the sequel. But um, what's worked out really well for you is getting more attention about Falkirk and about the Grangemouth Heritage Trust and about all these kind of historical locations. So in our final few minutes of our conversation here, Paul, can you tell us what people who live in the area or visiting the area or just want to know about your area should know about history and museums and where they should go to dive into this more? The modern invention that we have is the Falkirk Wheel and it transports boats from one canal to another. It has, I think, hourly trips there as well. You can go to, and also a Santa goes there at Christmas, so they have something for the children. Nearby in Linlithgow, when you can go there, you can go on a boat trip that takes you along the canal to the Falkirk Wheel and back again, which is much longer than the actual boat trip on the canal. That is like the modern, but it's, it's created, it's, the Falkirk Wheel is massive, but it doesn't use a lot of power because it's used the Archimedes technique, which is like the displacement of water. There's more water in one section, which quickly and easily moves the boat from one level to the other. Then in town for the, the historical side, you get Calendar Square and Calendar Park. So the Calendar House and Calend Calendar Park, and that has the history of the area in it. They've also got the Kelpies as well, which is part of the network at Grangemouth, of the canal network at Grangemouth. It's two large horses' heads, it's Kelpies, which is mythical creatures that are supposed to eat humans. And they were made in memory of the horses who used to tow all the barges from east to west and vice versa. That was why the Kelpies, the horses' heads were chosen. They said if the, so the boat trips as well, you can actually hire from the Falkirk Wheel and you can either go, your choice, go to Edinburgh. Uh, by boat, by barge, and come back again. And you go there with a family or friends or whatever. Or you could go in the other Forth and Clyde Canal, which takes you to Glasgow and further on to Dumbarton and back again uh, for a week or however long it is that you've taken hire for. And offhand, these are the things that I can think of uh, that you can see in Falkirk and the carronade that was used in the sailing ships that was created in Falkirk. Uh, so immediately the things that, that have come to my head uh, about the area. Well, amazing. And so it, it's a reminder for me that it's just, it's good to get out there and to see what sort of infrastructure that you could look at and what kind of like boat rides you can take. There's so, there's a whole world of things out there. I mean, there's, there's the pyramids, there's Stonehenge, there's all these creations that huge teams of people worked to create that those people that created them are, they've been gone, they've been long dead for decades, centuries, but these structures still exist and you can look at them with, with awe and wonder 
and just think about all the work that went into that and how long it's been there and how many more centuries to come it will be there. It's, it's fun to think about. And it's also a little bit of a humbling because you think that people like you and me were on this planet for a few decades and that's it. But some of these other things, they're just, they're around forever. Yeah, that's right. When they built the Falkirk Wheel, what they had to do was they had to extend the canal and the Union Canal because it stopped and it would divert onto an area which is now a road and that was where they had the locks which allowed the boats, the, the barges to go from one level to the other but that's now a road and they had to extend it from that point to where the connection is now and where they built it which used to be an old tar factory and so they had to extend the whole canal back to do that. Uh, and also, of course, for the history things, it's uh, Greenswith Heritage Trust, which is in Greenswith itself, at, at the back of Greenswith Library, and it's for free to go in. And that's when you step back in time and you see how Greenswith used to be in the decades gone by. And you see the big model of the airfield, which I've included in the story. Fun. So in order to step back in time, we can visit these places or we can live through our imagination in The War in Falkirk, as well as in your sequel. And so what's next for you, Paul? Are you doing more of the book promotion, working on writing anything new? What's the next project for you in the next six to 12 months? A lot of that is to do with you. If you want more of another story, if you think there's mileage in it, a lot of that is to do with yourself. If I was given the project, I would think about it and then see what I can create in my head for another part, a third part to the the first instance, a lot of that depends on you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So just like everything else, you're open to the opportunities and the synchronicity that presents itself. And if something just, and we've all been there, right? Where you look at something or you're about to make a decision and you're just, that's it. If you've ever been searching around for the best, the house you want to live in or the apartment or the car, sometimes you look at something and you're like, that, that's it. That's what I need to pursue. And so it seems like for you with these ideas or these book plot lines, when you come across something and you're like, I can't explain it, but that's what I need to be doing, then that's where your future will be is wherever the, the it factor presents itself. Yeah, that's more or less it because I get a lot of ideas. I have no idea where they came from and just added it into the storyline and it expanded things. And as you said yourself, you described it perfectly when you got all the different inroads and outroads of plots and you're not quite sure but it leads to next further along and uh, that's exactly how i've seen how i've seen life uh, my interpretation of the way that life has been for many people and then i just applied it into the storylines and pursued one route and it connected i suddenly got an idea for something else and it branched off there and then further on it all, all connects again and that that question there of where do ideas come from no one knows we'll never know they've been searching for those sorts of answers since greek times modern times caveman times no one knows where the ideas come from about if but the question is will you pursue that idea or not and as we're wrapping up our conversation here something that comes to mind is do you have any just like general life advice because like you've said You've seen a lot, a lot. You've been on so many adventures and the next generation of kids or the even further generation that hasn't even been born yet, they're always looking for what you've learned and what, you know, what you can pass on and what just, just like tips and life advice there is. So does anything come to mind for you as far as like your profound life advice or like what you would, what would you have told yourself 
at age 10 or age 20, just about living and being fulfilled and being happy and productive in general. Does anything come to mind as far as just this profound life advice? Oh, you've got to fight the fear. There's always negatives. A lot of things that I would do, I would keep to myself because if you let others, too many others know, and they get jealous, they won't admit their jealousy, but they'll try to put you off with a lot of negativity. They'll tell you that it'll be a failure before they even start because they don't think that they are capable of doing it. And so I would keep projects very much to myself and just develop them. And if I got the link, the assistance, which I've got with Papa Zetti and yourself and Patricia Laverty, then you can either talk more about it or as I say, just work quietly towards it. And you've got to fight your fears and just follow your dreams, essentially. Because uh, I've had this story thing in my head for years and it's taken me till this year for it to come to fruition. And uh, I have no idea where it went. It's, uh, so that's it, just go for it, but be careful who you tell. If you tell anyone, just keep things to yourself. And because others will feel less capable than you, it will do. Many will try to put you off. So just uh, work on projects quietly. I think is one of the best ways to do it. Love it. Work on projects quietly until it's complete. And then, and then put it out there. You say, fight the fear and follow your dreams. And yeah. you remind me of, there's some sort of a saying that they say, there's two ways to have the tallest building in town. Either you can work hard and build something that's super tall or knock everyone else's building down. And unfortunately, some people are mean and nasty and they don't even know what they're doing. And they'll just insult and degrade and be negative to everyone else to make them more miserable than they are. So they say, look, my, my building's the tallest that knocked on all the other ones. And that se and it seems like it's tough to sometimes identify those people or identify those behaviors and say, well, I need to not pursue with that or I need to not deal with that person. And my wife said something a month or two ago to me where there was some situation and she said that that says more about the person than you, right? If someone is mean to you, then the real lesson is that person who's being mean, that's the lesson you should learn. Like you're fine. Don't take their negativity and say, oh, I need to learn about myself. No, they're the ones that are showing you how bad they are with their bad behavior towards you. Choose your friends wisely, right? You are the person that you surround yourself with. And you've mentioned these people that have helped you a lot, like Andrew Reynolds, Patricia Laverty, Pat Masidi, and of course, the people at Grangemouth Heritage Trust and your close friends, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Library, et cetera. And so this is something to deeply think about. Anyone that has, for example, a book inside of them or an idea such as yours, the time is now, right? And life is too short to allow someone else to, to mess with you in that way. Just pursue forward, pursue your dreams, get it to a workable, workable finished product. And so as we're wrapping up our conversation here, Paul, do you have any final thing to work in here? Anything you feel like we left out of the conversation or just anything to just summarize what we said? Anything come to mind? It's your chance to put the last word in here. Well, I think I would say that I actually forgot to mention about the South of Conan Doyle Center with uh, Katie Cunningham, who's uh, the marketing manager there. She's wanting the book there because of the Edinburgh connection. We know each other. For me, uh, got in there several times. And so this is her trying to expand her business as well and capture more interest uh, for the Edinburgh area and also to assist myself and everyone who's involved in the book. 
uh, publication, etc. That was only recently uh, I've made that connection. It was unexpected. I took a chance. That's what I want. Well, so thanks to Katie for wanting to assist along the way as well. And she has read the story and she liked it as well. Cool. It's not, so you about the fear yeah. as far as getting your book out, you showed it to more people. And then you're, it seems like you're always looking out for those kind of mutually beneficial opportunities where you benefit because you get more exposure for your book, but then some of these other historical museums, societies, centers, they get more attention because your book mentions these locations. So everybody wins. That's the way I try to do it so that we all get a slice of the cake one, one way or the other. And it's uh, operate. Well, fantastic. And you podcast listeners out there, if you want to get a copy of Paul's book, he is in our Beyond Limitations book, which you can find at beyondlimitationsbook.com, grangemouthheritagetrust.co.uk, and then Google search the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Center, and also Google search Falkirk if you're ever in the area or you want to know more about that canal system or the air museum or any of those other undiscovered gems might be closer than you think. And there's always just, there's always something down the street or in your neighborhood that you're just like, I can't believe this was here this whole time. I wonder what the history is. So your next vacation or visit to the Falkirk area, check out these locations and have a lot of fun and enjoy history because it's there for you and you can choose to ignore or you can learn from it and have fun with it. So yeah, it's been super wonderful talking with you, Paul. Thank you. The same year it was unexpected podcast, but yeah, that was good. But you embrace this opportunity. So anyone out yeah. there, if you're hesitating about giving a speech, going on that first date, putting out a book, being on a podcast, whatever it is, don't overthink it too much. Just jump on this chance because you you might never get a chance again. So I, I applaud and I appreciate your bravery, Paul and being open to even having the podcast with me and promoting your book. And that's what it's all about. So I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Appreciate all the help I've been given along the way. So thank you, Tom. Awesome.